0: I'd like to start this morning with a hello and a goodbye. For the next two Sundays, Trish and I and the boys will be on vacation, and I've asked a friend of mine to uh, preach for the next three weeks. He's a fantastic man of God, and I'd like to introduce you to him this morning, just virtually, I guess, by his picture. His name is Reverend Gary Knighton. He is the University of Hartford chaplain, as well as the pastor of a church that is comprised of college students. So, during the fall and the spring, he's a pastor of a church that meets on campus, and in the summer, he has a little bit of time, and he also serves as the university's chaplain. And so, uh, Reverend Gary Knighton will be here for the next three weeks. The next two weeks, uh, Trish and I and the boys will be gone. And so, when you see him, make him welcome. Uh, Don't make him eat lunch by himself unless you ask him out to lunch, and he says, no, he does not want lunch. In that case, then let him be. But don't, you know, take good care of him. Um, I I've, uh, I reached out to him, and had a good conversation with him on Friday, and uh, enjoy uh, the teaching and the preaching, and just getting to know this guy. He is a, a tremendous man of God. And so this morning, by the way of starting, by hellos and goodbyes. Say hello to, to uh, Gary. preaching at the end of August. The goodbye is to this guy here. That picture was taken within a few weeks of launching River Church. Uh, when we launched River Church, I was the tallest George boy. I am now the shortest George boy. And this is Ezra's last Sunday before he goes to college. We so just see him around from time to time. Uh, but uh, this is his final Sunday as when we return from vacation in a couple weeks we'll be bringing him to where he will be studying music education. Now, as good company, as uh, his brothers going back to college, Caitlin, the young lady who was singing this morning, is going back to college in the next few weeks. Uh, Nathaniel has plans for the fall, as does Cameron. And so there are a number of young men and women who are making some big changes and making some big decisions this fall. So as you have an opportunity today, uh, we're going to start seeing some of these folks return their colleges and their programs and their workplaces and so this morning we were praying you know that the the high school students and the middle school students that remain this fall that the lord would move in their lives that they would step up as uh there's gonna it's gonna feel a little gappy for a few weeks uh even for us personally as a family but we know that the lord is going to provide and we're so grateful for these guys and all the others but uh, make sure you guys a have today it'll be a while until you see them and i just want to just quickly acknowledge making some changes in Can we just say we love you guys. So some things are beginning and some things are ending. We're definitely in a season of transition, and I'd like to spend the balance of our time this morning before we go to communion talking about the actual end of the world. Nothing like a happy August pick you up, like talking about the end of the world, uh, but there's a powerful message for the Lord's people as we take a look at what God actually says through a prophecy, through a dream that was received in the early chapters of Daniel and was interpreted. The past few weeks, I've been talking about how to be a good kid and, and a better adult as we looked at different principles of how to shape our lives more according to what we see in Daniel 1, Daniel chapter 2, and Daniel chapter 3. But I skipped over this dream. I skipped over this vision because it really wasn't in the context of what we were talking about, and I thought that it deserved a Sunday of its own. And so this week, I would like to to preach through and teach through Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45, where the Lord used uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, young men, teenage men, who are also becoming fine young men in their 20s, through a difficult time, very, very powerfully, miraculously, uh, and there's a powerful message. Church in the context of this dream. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. I'll be referencing a couple of other scriptures in the New Testament. Most of the verses will be on the screen this morning, but this long passage that I'm going to share with you at the beginning of our time together this morning, only some key verses will be on the screen. So again, if you have your Bible, if you have your app, open up to Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 31 along in the text with me. So beginning in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, if you remember, the king had a dream, and he asked all of the wise guys in the land that he had trained and sponsored and were on the payroll to interpret the dream for him. The catch was, he didn't tell them what the dream was. So what we have here is one of the greatest miracles recorded in scripture, in that the dream that the king had was actually revealed Daniel and interpreted by him and his friends after a season of prayer and fasting. And so this is Daniel saying, here's your dream, and here's what it means. My king, as you were watching, a colossal statue appeared. That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. As you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay, and crushed them. Then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like cat from the summer freshman floors. The wind carried them away, and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds of the air, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. A fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything. And like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. You saw the feet and toes Partly of a potter's fired clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom. Though some of the strength of iron will be in it. You saw the iron mixed with clay and that the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong and part will be brittle. You saw the iron mixed with clay. The peoples will mix with one another. But will not hold together. Just as iron does not mix with fire clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it. And it crushed the iron, bronze, fire clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen is true, and its interpretation is certain. Books have been written about this passage, and what I'd like to do this morning, just very, very briefly, is kind of point out sort of the big ideas, kind of the obvious things that I think we can take just from a simple reading of the text that you can see for yourself, uh, and and then move to what what does that mean for us as the church? What does it mean, what is the message to the people who have placed their faith in Christ, and what does it mean to people who have not? Because the dream is clear. It's about the end of time. It is a dream from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view of the future until the end. And, and so obviously we are living inside of that window. How do we fit into this vision? Please note first and foremost that it was a, 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 a large statue when Nebuchadnezzar decided to build this thing. He built it 90 feet tall and made entirely of gold. However, in this vision, the head was gold, and please take special note of the explanation that is given why the head was gold, and the vision's interpretation is that Nebuchadnezzar is the head. And even before I go into what the the parts of the statue were, please also understand that the statue was not built from the ground up, it's built from the head down, which means it has a fixed end. This statue is not getting any taller. Isn't that interesting how this statue is described? It's described from the top down, not the bottom up. And so a point in history is the fixed point. And it is right around AD 500, I'm sorry, BC 500, right around the time when this vision was given. About 500 years before Jesus was born. And so that's the starting point. That's the head. So right now, that is the fixed point. It is made of gold. Please notice what Daniel says about why. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds of the air, and I read from verse 37 and 38 of chapter 2, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Now, if we were to think for just a moment, Where else in the scripture have we heard a man who was described as sovereign over the whole known world, even down to the animals and the birds of the air? Who is that guy? Ah. So, what we are seeing here is that God is giving a new message. He's starting something new, right? It's the beginning of the end. But please note that this kingdom... The Babylonian kingdom is like, for the rest of history, it is the pinnacle of sovereignty, power, and glory given to an earthly ruler by God. God gave him a special, almost Adamic grace, if you will, of privilege and power and honor and right and authority that was his Because as we move from the head down to the shoulders and the belly and the thighs and then ending at the feet, what do we notice about the metallurgy? Does it get more or less precious? It's less precious. So there is a special gift of God at the starting point of the end, using Genesis-type language regarding his authority over creation, all the earth, even animals. And it was, it was precious. It was more powerful, more sovereign, more valuable, more authoritative than anything you or I have ever experienced. And as you look from 500 years before Jesus was born down to the end, what this vision is saying, what the dream is saying, is that there is something to the good old days. Biblically, <laughs> There is something to this idea that God moved regarding the sovereignty, power, strength, and glory of a human kingdom. And, And from the time of Nebuchadnezzar until today, it's fading. That things are actually becoming less sovereign, less powerful, less strength, and less glorious. So Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian kingdom, the head of gold. Next we see the shoulders and the arms which are made out of silver. Uh, two quick thoughts. One we've already identified. Silver is not as precious as gold, which means that the majesty of this kingdom, which many scholars would interpret as the uh, kingdom that came in and replaced the Babylonian kingdom as the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. This is recorded in the book of Daniel. That uh, two things. It's silver. It's not as quite as glorious as Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was. And it is divided. There are two and so, uh, we see that as, the, as we move through time, down the statue, there are two trends. Number one, things get less divinely inspired, things get less glorious, things get less powerful for nation states, and they get more and more divided. And, and we'll see this as we work our way down through the statue. Uh, moving into the abdomen or the thighs, we see that in bronze, which again is strong, you know, it has many suitable purposes, but it too is not as valuable as silver, and it is nowhere near as valuable as gold, and of course it too represents a divided kingdom. Many scholars would say that this represents the uh, conquering invasion of Alexander the Great, and the Greek empire that ruled from right around the time of 250 or so BC, right up Know that Alexander the Great conquered the whole known world as a young man, died young, and his kingdom was divided. That uh, one capital was in modern-day Syria, and the other capital is in modern-day Egypt. And so that kingdom, the Greek kingdom, was also uh, not as powerful or as strong or as glorious as the Medes and the Persians, which was not as strong and as powerful as the Babylonian kingdom, and it too was a divided kingdom. Which brings us down to the legs made out of iron initially, which, of course, was also divided. Many scholars would say that that represents the Roman Empire, which was from around 50 or so B.C., 35 B.C., right up until around 250 or 300 A.D. And we know that the Roman Empire was divided east to west, which is why we had an Orthodox Church and a a Catholic Church or a Western Church. There's an Eastern Church and a Western Church. That is remnants of the Roman Empire that was also divided. And then we move down to the feet, which are a mixture of iron and clay, which strikes us as incongruous, and even so it is. We would never build anything this massive or beautiful or valuable um, foundation that was comprised of iron and clay. We know that they don't mix. And there's discussion made of the feet and the toes. So, again, the metals become less valuable, starts out with gold, ends up with Dirt. And more fractious, more divided. Starts out unified under the head of a man that had authority over the whole world, even down to the animals. And there is a succession of divisions amongst the kingdoms to where now we have ten kingdoms. And then enters the text that a stone formed without hands, or separated from a mountain without hands, comes and strikes the statue at the end of time, at the, at the end of the at the end of the dream and smashes the iron and the clay pulverizes it says the whole statue collapses and the whole thing turns to chaff it's like dust uh, think pollen and uh, think pollen in a good stiff breeze uh, we wish it was that easy. think something less sticky than pollen like chaff, that's why it says chaff <laughs> but not many of us are root farmers uh, very very fine the whole statue Meaning all of history, all of the power and the sovereignty and the authority and the uh, wisdom of the ages, essentially, from Babylonian Empire through the uh, Medes and Persians, the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, comes to nothing because a stone that is not shaped with hands, separated from a mountain, comes and smashes the feet. And it is about that stone where the stone, of course, is referring to Jesus Christ. And there is a specific promise that relates to us as New Testament believers in this text as well. But just a quick comparison between the stone and the mountain and the statue. Please understand that the statue, as beautiful as it is, is formed and serves a purpose. It has been created by somebody, but that creator is not mentioned. The idea is that What we've known from 500 B.C. to the current day has been serving someone else's purpose. Someone has been shaping this statue and comprising these precious metals and forming them in various ways. Beginning valuable and unified to base and divided. Somebody built this thing, but they're not mentioned in the text. Please compare that with the stone. It's clearly recorded in the text that the stone is shaped without human intervention. That the stone is from the mountain divinely is what the text is implying. And here's what we know about mountains. <laughs> kind of like the ocean. The mountain doesn't care. Uh, the mountain is a mountain. The mountain is unshaped. And within the mountain we find gold, silver, and bronze, and iron, and clay, right? But it is there, it's natural form. It has not been removed or shaped in any way. And so the idea is that this statue has been shaped. Time, worldly authority and power, has a purpose, it has been shaped according to someone's will, and we kind of have to assume that it has something to do with the mountain and the stone, because nobody shapes the mountain, and all the precious metals are found within the mountain, and yet a piece of the mountain, without anybody's help, removes itself and destroys Bible in its entirety, when you talk, when you take a look at all of the scriptures that talk about rocks and stones, they're either prophetically referring to Jesus Christ, or Jesus is actually referring to himself as a stone, and I'd like to show that to you this morning. You see, the rock that's separated from the mountain without the help of human aid at all is a divine rock, and at the end of time, when history is over, and all of and dreams and wealth and power and authority are over. We are When we actually hit rock bottom, because there is something to the good old days, okay? When we actually hit rock bottom, we're going to find two things. Number one, the rock is alive. And we will be building on that rock. But it will be different. Please notice the promise in the text regarding the end of time. In those days, in the days of those kings. The God of heaven, the mountain, will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. What is the most basic promise of faith that we understand as believers in Jesus Christ? What does our eternity look like? We are a people, specifically the church, no kingdom coming to invade heaven. There is no power of the devil that can harm the saints throughout eternity. The church, the people of God, are the kingdom that will stand and be built on the living rock at the end of time. And those people and that kingdom will never, ever be destroyed. We find, I believe, in this text, in Daniel chapter 2, a prophetic reference to the power of the church. The trend of this statue: Less sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. More division. Two arms, two legs, two feet, ten toes. In the kingdom to come, more sovereignty, power, strength, and glory zilch on the division. This is the kingdom that is to become. And this is the, the comparing and the contrast history, through at least 500 BC, and then eternity. Uh, You can turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. I would like to show you the most uh, common passage that people refer to when we talk about this idea as Jesus as a rock, or as Jesus as a stone. He is talking to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 19, greatest question that can ever be asked the only question that ever matters has just been asked and the question is who do you say that I am referring to Jesus Christ and here's what the text says Simon Peter answered you are the Messiah, the son of the living God and Jesus responded Simon, son, of Jonah you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Who else has something revealed to them? that was not revealed to them by flesh and blood. Who else received a direct word from the Lord but did not understand it and the Lord had to send a separate vision to four young men to help him figure out what his dreams were? There's a parallel between the two texts, right? Peter has also just been witness to a revelation that's arguably one of the greatest miracles in the Bible because before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ Peter is about to reveal that he understands that Jesus is divine. It's a miracle. Flesh and blood do not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, in the Greek, little stone, and on this rock, different word, ledge. I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Why is Jesus saying that the forces Not overcome a kingdom that is built on the ledge of Jesus Christ. That Peter is a stone, a small stone on top of a larger stone, and these two stones are going to build something that will never be overcome by the powers of hell. It is an eternal kingdom, is what Jesus is saying here. On this rock I will build my church, and the forces of hell will not overpower it. And get this I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Here's the challenge of where we live as a New Testament faith. Our feet are firmly planted on the earth. We are still firmly included in that timeline of history. We are living, and we don't have great understanding exactly into the insight regarding the vision, but we are living with the iron mixed remnants of the Roman Empire and its power, authority, and legislative ability. One of the first republics that the world has ever known where they actually voted in their leaders as opposed to uh, Babylon where the king was given by divine right. So, what we experience today, you can see a lot of remnants of the Roman Republic, the Roman Empire in our current history. We know that it was divided east and west. The, the ten kingdoms, five tombs of the west, five tombs of the east, not really sure. But what we know is that we are living in the time of the iron mixed with clay. This is the challenge of our faith. This is where we are. We are still a part of the statute. Time has not ended. Jesus has not come back. History is still moving forward. We just celebrated the fact that our young men and women are moving forward even this week, even the next month. They have plans for the future. And Lord willing, they will move forward in history and we hope that they will but here's the challenge for the new testament believer we are firmly planted in this statue in this vision iron into clay but the decisions that we make according to this passage according to the authority given to peter by jesus we have the keys of the kingdom specifically whatever you bind or promise on earth is already bound and whatever you lose on earth or forsake is already loosed or forsook in heaven. But there's an aspect, since we're part of the church, which is the kingdom to come, it's not here yet, that we have the authority to make decisions that impact eternity. We can make promises now that are valid when it's all said and done. And for the rest of and we can let go of things now that are actually are never going to come back. Specifically, I feel one of the interpretations of this passage is we can pledge ourselves by faith in Jesus now, and we're supposed to, in recognition of the King of that. Well, we're losing our sin as fast as humanly possible right and when our sins are forgiven and loosed and they have no control over us now they're never coming back those sins are not coming back they will not be a part of eternity they will not be a part of the kingdom that is to come the people who will never be supplanted removed or replaced are beginning to move by faith now and it's part because part of us is So what is the church supposed to do? 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 is a fascinating passage and I'm not going to read the whole thing but if you want a quick synopsis maybe it's something that you want to look at this week in your own devotions if you want a quick synopsis of what the Bible says about Jesus Christ as a stone or cornerstone or foundation 1 Peter chapter 2 is a fantastic passage because Peter refers to Three different aspects of Jesus being a stone or a cornerstone in what that stone actually does. But this morning, by way of conclusion, I just want to point out, to answer the question what are we to do? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 Come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God and he continues in verse 5 You yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And he goes on to say that we are to serve as priests in the house that Jesus is building for all of eternity. We have jobs to do. We are to stack our lives as living stones on top of the living stone that is also going to destroy history as we know. That Jesus is coming back. He will end time as we know it. All of history will come to nothing. All of man's efforts will come to nothing. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And what will be built on that new foundation is the kingdom of God. And we have the privilege now to make promises and to let things go that will be sure and God in that new kingdom. Which will be divided. So this morning we have time to take communion together, and as I introduce this time of communion, invite the worship team to come back up and we wrap up our time together, here is the thought. Communion is kingdom construction. Communion is where we make decisions today, bound up with iron and clay, stuff that doesn't belong together, stuff that's never going to last forever. We can make promises in this moment, and we can let's and in this moment, communion is kingdom building. You see, River Church is going through a transition as well. I'll be speaking more about it at the end of this month through September into October. Long story short, God is pressing the gas pedal of our plans moving forward. We will not always be meeting in this auditorium, in this cafeteria. In fact, Lord willing, come October 2020, we will be in our new facility at 32 School Street. That is very busy little bike, And I've had the opportunity to speak with many of you, many of you I have not, but River Church is beginning something new. We too are laying foundations. We too are entering an active construction phase. The Lord has provided funding, the Lord has provided plans, and help is actually on the way, and we will, Lord willing, not be building by ourselves next summer. So beginning, hopefully, the second week of June, we will begin constructing our new facility, again, With the Lord's uh, favor and blessing, we may even be able to do site development in a foundation before the end of this year is happening. We are also transitioning. This is ending. If you don't like meeting here, good. Because the Lord has provided, the school has been gracious, but we got to go. But you know what? As That hold strong, and we let things go, that is when the kingdom is actually being built. So yes, we are very grateful for your plans, and I look forward to sharing more with you in the months to come, and we'll see how the Lord provides, but don't mistake that for kingdom building. We're going to build a kingdom right now. And so, I'm going to pray over this time of communion, the elements will be distributed. If this is your first time with us during communion, please feel welcome to partake communion. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Things, uh, and, and place your faith in Jesus, And please share communion with us. If you are a little stone built on a big stone, then this is for you. If you are not that person, then no better time to make that decision than right now. And it sounds like this. Heavenly Father, I have been building on the wrong foundation. I've been packing mud around the iron and the clay. And, and it's not a surprise to me that that's never going to last. But that's what I have been doing because that's all I know what to do. And this morning, when I see the Bible talk about the end of time, it feels like a question has been answered. I've been asking for a long time, where is this thing going? And what does my future look like? I now know that it's okay to be firmly bound with matters of the earth because I'm still in that timeline, but my heart, my mind, and my soul can belong to eternity today. And I choose to make that decision for the first time. promise and letting stuff go. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray a prayer like that this morning and help us build a kingdom by taking communion. So I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to play. The elements will be distributed. There's a little bit of bread in the first cup and a little bit of juice in the second cup. Once the elements come around, please hold the elements until everyone has been served and we'll take communion together. More honor Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to take steps now, to make decisions now that acknowledge where we're at, mired in iron clay. But we know that the most important parts of us belong to you, faith for eternity. No one's coming to replace our decisions of faith. No one has the authority to conquer the things that we have promised. No one has the authority to Father, we celebrate that this morning by this little picture of the bread and the juice which represent your body and your blood which were shed for us. You are coming again and you are going to clean the slate and start over. And this morning we get to help construct that kingdom by faith when we are obedient to your word. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins, empower our repentance, increase the holiness